stand as we get started tonight. Thank you for being with us online tonight on this beautiful Wednesday evening. I, uh, I'm looking for, I saw the extended forecast and I'm, I'm really getting excited. I think you need to get your parkas out and, and get ready because it's coming. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm just thankful to have cold water again. You know, it seems like since July, I've had warm and warmer and hot. That's <laughs> so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, anyway, let's open up a prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. I do want us to pray. Some of you may have heard, um, I think it was a week or so ago, that uh, Katie Sanders fell and broke her arm. And uh, I talked to her yesterday, and they were going to, uh, the, the doctor had basically said, you know, just keep the sling, immobile, things like that. Well, I just got a message that she went to the doctor today, and, and it's the, the bone has shifted, and so they're going to have to do surgery on Monday. So, uh, you know, those guys, uh, we talk about being, you know, those guys on the hill, they, they've, they've really had a, you know, they've had a lot going on. And so uh, let's lift them up in prayer. I know there are, again, many folks that are just, you know, we live in a world that's full of hurt and sickness and heartache. And, and you know, heaven looks, looks really, really, really good. <laughs> That's why they kept saying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Anyway, let's open up in prayer. Father, tonight we are grateful. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I know sometimes we struggle and wonder, why in the world? Uh, you know, or as I said the other day, if I, were, if I were you, I would have already come by now. But Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you're, you, you are infinitely wise and Lord, every every day uh, that you tarry, your your coming is a day of grace and a day of mercy. And Father, for that we are grateful, uh, Lord, that you don't give us what we deserve, but you heap upon us uh, the unmerited favor that comes through your grace. And I thank you for the privilege of of prayer, Lord, that we can call out to you, Lord. There there are miracles, and I thank you for hearing about the miraculous things that are taking place and have. But Father, I pray tonight, Lord, the hands that went up in the building, we pray for the Sanders family, uh, Lord, so many others that are just struggling right now. Lord, I pray that where there are their physical needs tonight, God, we still believe that you are a healer. Lord, we rest confidently upon your word. And Father, we pray that you would just, Lord, that you would just swiftly come to our aid and that you would restore, renew, rejuvenate, Lord, and, uh, and do what needs to be done. For those that are dis discouraged tonight, God, I ask that you would encourage them, ground them, strengthen them in the faith. Lord, I pray for those that, uh, Lord, may just uh, need, a, need a financial blessing. Uh, Lord, again, we trust you. We have confidence in you. And I pray, Father, for those that might be looking for work, God, that you would open up the place that you've already prepared for them. Lord, I believe that before you allow a need to come into our life, that you've already prepared the resource to meet it. Father, be with our youth, our children tonight, our choir, our ladies Lord, all the ministries on the campus tonight be exalted in everything that is done. Father, we pray continually for revival. Uh, Lord, in our land, we ask you to start here. Do something among us here at, as the BT family, Lord. We pray for rain, uh, Lord, both spiritual and the natural rain, God, that we would, uh, Lord, just see your hand in all that takes place. We thank you for our time together. Bless our study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated tonight. Um, go ahead and turn to First John five. First John five. And while you turn there, I mentioned something about a 
uh, about just some of the miraculous things. You know, we pray, we have praying with the pastor every Tuesday from 9 to, to 10. And uh, I was talking to a lady, uh, I guess it was yesterday afternoon, that uh, stopped by for a moment and was telling me about her family that has a, they have a ranch and, and they were a ranch, they were near the fires. And, and the fire was moving pretty rapidly towards their, their ranch. And so they called people all across the country to begin praying over their property. Um, and they said, she was telling me that when the, when the fire got to their fence line, that an east wind came and blew and blew it back upon itself and it did not it didn't it didn't get on their property um it, you know he still calms the winds uh, or he controls the winds and the waves and you know, I know a lot of people think things like well that's just that's just coincidental well behind behind every coincidence is a god that makes things happen amen i believe that uh in way of announcements just a couple things uh, Thank you for participating in our Kicking It Old School on Sunday. We had uh, quite a few antiques out there. Uh, if you have some items, please you're, feel free to take them home. Uh, if not, I'll be putting them on eBay. And <laughs> I got a vacation next year I want to take care of. Um, the, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we will announce the two winners on Sunday. And uh, there were some pretty interesting guesses as to some of those items. Uh, you know, and again, like I said, I... It was a trip down memory lane, and I don't remember most of that stuff out there, but uh, but it was fun. So so thank you for doing that. I think the kids uh, that participated had a had a real treat in trying to figure out some of those things. Uh, and, and you know, and once you know, you're like, ah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, but anyway, and then also, um, fam is coming up, and this is for you know. I, I know that most of our families are involved in other areas tonight, but. FAM is hosting their tailgate party. Uh, so if you're, uh, a, a, you're a couple, a single-parent household with children, uh, regardless of the age, FAM ministry is for you. It's family and marriage ministry. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful group of people. I think their last gathering had about 60 people there. Uh, you bring your kids out there. It's at the barn, uh, which is um, at, at the Sanders barn. Uh, they're on East Cleburne, and uh, they have a wonderful time. It's a, Again, so there's information at the Hub, uh, and I think they also have a table set up. And the last thing I want to say is we, again, I remind you of the Walk for Life that's coming up on September the 30th, uh, just a few weeks away, and uh, the registration information is on the table to the left when you walk out. FAM is putting together uh, and coordinating the team for Bethel and would love for you to come out and just, again, we stand for life. I unashamedly, uh, from, the, from, from birth to, you know, from hatching to dispatching, I believe in life. And, uh, and so we walk to, to uh, support that. Anyway, so let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're going to wrap this up next week. We have been, actually, actually we were almost uh, two and a half months uh, in this study. We've been going through the book of First John, the letter of First John. We've been taking... Again, I said it at the onset that I want to do this. You know, how many ever get in a hurry? You know, when you just kind of jump into something and you intend to take your time, but then after a while you're like, okay, and you just get right through it. Uh, well, I think sometimes we do that to our detriment. And so I purposely and intentionally wanted to slow down and really dig out some of the nuggets of what John was talking about uh, in writing First John. Um, it is a powerful little letter 
And one of the, remember, one of the reasons that he wrote was to give us confidence. In a day that's filled with uncertainty, it's nice to know that what you and I believe, again, he starts out in chapter 1, and I'm not going to do a, re, uh, you know, a, uh, a review of the entire book, but in chapter 1, he reminds them that what you are hearing is from an eyewitness. You know, it's not a fable. Our faith is not built on a, 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 a myth or a fable or any folklore. I was an eyewitness. And so that's very important. You know, you can be confident, that, confident tonight that if you build your life on the teachings of Christ, that it is a stable foundation upon which to build. So anyway, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about confidence, that very thing. So chapter 5, let's look at verse 1 through 10. I know it's a little longer, but anyway, look at what John writes. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. There's a lot of begots and begottens there. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, and that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not, notice this, they are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has witness in, has the witness in himself. He who does not believe that God has made him, uh, believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Whew. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, I know that's really like, you know, when you start reading like that, all of a sudden you get to that point where you're like, you know, the peanuts, you know, Charlie Brown, and you, you see them in the classroom, and there's like, wah, 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 wah. Well, let me, I'm, we're going to reduce all that down tonight and talk about what he's talking, we're going to unpack what he's talking about. Um, I, I do pray that this study has been beneficial to you. I, I pray that you've enjoyed it. You know, last week, uh, just as a reminder, we talked about John's exhortation to remain on guard. And that, and, and that is something that we as believers must, must be diligent about in this day and time. We have to be on guard because not everyone who speaks speaks for God. Not, not everyone who says they have a word from God actually has a word from God. In fact, John wrote that we should not believe every spirit. Uh, and, and I think that's important coming from the wise elderly apostle that we should not believe every spirit. But what did he say? He said, but test them. Test them. So, so, so in, in real life, what it means is hearing somebody that might, that might say, I have a word from the Lord, or they might have a message from God, but, but you receive it, but you test it. And if it deviates from the word, from Scripture, then it's not a message for God. You know, the arbiter of truth is not what I feel, it's what the word of God says. 
You know, it's not whether or not one, a, a, an issue is popular or not or acceptable or not. The idea is, does it line up with what the teachings of Scripture is all about? See, the litmus that's used to test uh, the spirits in, in primarily is what do they say about Jesus? Remember? What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about salvation? What do they say about God's Word? Uh, like I said last week, if they get it wrong about Jesus, okay, and if they get it wrong about salvation and they get it wrong about his word, then they are wrong, period. I don't care how many alphabets they have, how many letters from the alphabet they have behind their name. If they're wrong on Jesus, wrong on salvation, wrong on the word, they're wrong. And we should not give them audience. We should not pay attention uh, to them. Uh, you know, one of the great doctrines of the Bible is that as believers, we are no longer slaves to sin. I know that's, that, that sometimes is not thoroughly understood by modern believers, but the truth of the matter is the Bible is very explicit talking about the victory that you and I have as believers, that we're no longer slaves to sin, nor are we, nor are we a doormat for the devil. Uh, you know, we are more, what does the Bible say? What did Paul say to the Romans? We are more than conquerors through Christ. Uh, so it doesn't sound like a doormat. It doesn't sound like somebody who walks around with this defeatist mindset that I can't do any better. That's wrong. You know, there are a lot of believers who say, well, I just can't overcome that habit or I can't get past this. No, you can. The devil has just convinced you that you can't, but you can because greater, what do you say? Greater is he who is in you than he that's in this world. You know, again, one of the reasons John's writing this letter is to reassure the believers that their faith is enough. Your, your faith is enough. You know, again, John's writing at a time when there were a lot of false teachers. And so John reminds them that, hey, stay the course because you are the ones that are conquerors. You know, and I, I think that's a word for the modern church is that we just need to stay the course. Oh, I know it looks like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And everywhere you turn, it's just one It's just one more evil thing that's being promoted and celebrated in the public arena, and it seems like the government has turned totally corrupt and evil. No, no matter what level of government you talk about or the institutions of man, the message is stay the course. Stay the course. Just because the world's falling apart doesn't mean you have to. Our faith is enough. Our faith is enough. So John reassures them that in Christ we are safe. We're safe. You know, we live in a world filled with doubt, right? I mean, even now we sit here today and there are things that we doubt. You know, we struggle because we see the reports on TV. We, we hear the news that comes across uh, or read it in, in some magazine or whatever. You know, it's a very difficult day to, to live in and, and have certainty about anything. Because, you know, you hear about inflation, you hear about interest rates, you hear about unemployment, you hear about you know, wars, you hear, again, you, you name the topic, you hear uh, COVID, uh, you hear about pandemics and epidemics and, 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 and all kinds of things. And it's a difficult day to have certainty about anything. You know, we have, uh, again, we have a government, and pardon me for saying this, I, you know, but we have a government that regularly lies to the people. You know, I mean, and that, that's not, and again, I'm not jumping on a, on a political bandwagon. I'm just saying we live in a, a culture where truth is far from what's being said. You know, so we have a government that regularly lies to the people, inflation's off the charts, violence is becoming more senseless and more random. I mean, who would have thought about 
kids walking, or somebody walking into a, a school and shooting kids. And yet we see that. You know, and everybody's quick to blame guns. It's not a gun issue. It's a heart issue. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, when I was a kid, I was, a, I was probably 10th grade, 11th grader. I played in the band. I was a trumpet player. And I remember uh, during the marching season, I played in the band up to Christmas. And then in the spring, I played baseball. So one, one, one year we had a band concert. It was a Christmas concert. And my band director needed a cannon sound. We were playing somebody's symphony or whatever and needed a cannon sound. And he said, I don't want to use a timpani drum or anything like that. I want something that sounds like an authentic cannon. Now, that's before you had all these fancy, you know, computers and all this kind of stuff. And so I just told him, I said, hey, I can make you a cannon sound. I said, what I'll do is I'll, I've got a 12-gauge shotgun. And, and now you're going to laugh at me. But I said, I have a 12-gauge shotgun. I got a 55-gallon, uh, 55-gallon barrel drum. And I said, I can poke a hole in the side of that thing, and I can bring my 12-gauge, stick the barrel in there, and at the right time, I'll, I'll pull the trigger, and it'll sound like a cannon. He said, will that work? I said, yeah. He said, let's do it. So here I am as a junior probably in high school, walking into my, class, into my high school with a 12-gauge shotgun over my shoulder, going into the assembly area, Set up to play this Christmas concert. Sure enough, I had the 55-gallon drum, had a hole stuck in the side. I took the beads out, obviously, of the shotgun shell. I stuck that thing right in there, and at the right time, boom, sounded just like a cannon. If you did that today, you would be under the jail. You wouldn't be in jail. You'd be under the jail. Things have changed. My goodness, things have changed. You know, and, and you think about it, you can talk about all these things, but think about the spiritual life of Western believers. Man, the spiritual life, as noted by pollsters, it's, man, it's sorely lacking uh, in Western culture. I mean, today, uh, uh, there are exceptions, obviously, but it, Western believers today tend to see faith as an add-on or an option rather than a priority. Isn't that the truth? For, for many Western believers today, faith is an add-on or an option, not a priority. And we see the consequences of that. And, and, and while all of this is true, and again, we see doubts, there's one thing, and this is the whole point, there's one thing that you and I should never have doubts about, not ever. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we place our faith in his finished work, and that's enough. Now, again, I'm not saying that you stop there because obviously we should continue to grow and mature in our faith. But, but the reality is faith in the finished work of Jesus is enough to save me and it's enough to get me to heaven. That's it. That, that's it. His work was enough, okay? His work was enough to save me and to take me to heaven, and so when it comes to that, even though amid all these other uncertainties, there's one thing I'm sure of. If that trumpet were to sound today because of what I did many, many years ago, if that trumpet were to sound today, my feet would be off the ground in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I'll be changed, as Paul said in Corinthians 15. That's a certainty. And this is where we are in chapter 5. You know, no, and, and, and John speaks about some certainty. Let's look at some of those things that uh, John speaks of as to why we can have confidence in our salvation. The first thing he begins with, number one, is our beliefs. No, notice verse 1 right off the bat. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. 
Okay, there it is again. If I'm wrong on Jesus, I'm wrong on everything. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And, and if you drop down to verses 4 and 5, he said, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, I've, I've, told, I've said this many, many times. Jesus is it. He, he's the answer to questions we don't even know we have. It's Jesus. And John says, if you are born of God, you overcome the world. And to be born of God means you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And the word believe literally means to commit or to rely on or to have reliance or confidence in. Uh, and, and it's in the present tense, meaning that we should continually keep believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's kind of encouraging because we live in a culture that questions the deity of Christ. You know, many today would be willing to acknowledge, well, he was a good man, he was a good teacher, but they stopped short of saying he was the Son of God. And, and, and notice it's the Son of God, not a Son of God. He's the only begotten of the Father. That's very important. You know, so, so for us, it's more than just this intellectual ascent or this emotional excitement. It has to involve the will. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. Have you ever heard people say something like, you just have to have faith? Well, right? Yeah, we all say that. Just have faith. Well, that's true to a point. But faith itself without an object is empty. Okay? Without an object, our faith has to be in Jesus. It's in Christ alone. You know, as a great song says. Again, faith without an object. And again, my faith is only as strong as the object in which I put my faith. So, so if, I, if I'm going to live a victorious life, a confident life in this dark world, I have, I have, to, I have to have faith in someone greater than and, and it's faith in Christ. That's what he says. And, and notice there's two truths about Jesus that we commit ourselves to. Number one, that Jesus is the Savior. Notice verse one, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The word Messiah, that's the word Messiah. And, it, 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 and it's referring to Jesus as being the anointed one, the Savior of the world. And then the second point of salvation is Jesus is the Son of God. Again, found in verse number 5. Jesus is the Son of God. That's what makes him uniquely qualified to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice. So this is what Peter actually meant in Matthew chapter 16 and, and what he proclaimed, he said, you are the, what? Christ, the son of the living God. That's exactly what Peter said. So John starts out with our beliefs. Then he, then he goes right into the second point, and that is our salvation. So, so John flows right into the second sign that believers can take confidence in. And again, in verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then the first part of verse 4 says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And I like that phrase there, born of God. He uses it seven different times in this short letter. Seven times, born of God. So what does that mean? Well, the bottom line is this. If you are not born of God, you are not a believer. If you're not born of God, you are not a believer. Again, Jesus put it like this in John 3, 3. He said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So what does that mean? It means it doesn't matter what I say, 
okay? It doesn't matter the, what I profess with my mouth. If I, don't, if I don't have the will of my heart that believes that Jesus is the Christ and that he's the Son of God, I'm not... Again, there are a lot of people that make an emotional decision. We, we've done, down through the years, we've had thousands of people that have responded to the altar uh, in ministries that we've done and, and dramas and productions that we've done. And, and, and people say, well, you know, were they sincere? Well, how, how would I know? How, how would I know that? I, I do know that there are people who make emotional decisions at the moment. You know, I pray that people don't, but there are people that get caught up in the moment. They're enraptured by the atmosphere or maybe by somebody they're with, and they just kind of follow suit. You know, but John's you know, basically laying out, look, born again, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom unless you are born again. The phrase born again is not a buzzword, nor is it some special class of Christians. Uh, how many have ever heard somebody say born again Christian? What is that? I mean, a true Christian is born again. John said you can't be born again without, I mean, you can't be a Christian without being born again. And yet we, we use that as a qualifier, born again believer. Well, you can't be an, un, un, you can't be an unborn again, a non-born again believer. That's a dichotomy there. That's kind of, kind of opposed to each other, right? I mean, again, we've used it for years as a qualifier, born again to distinguish ourselves from others who call themselves Christians, but, but they're not born again, so you can't call them Christians. Again, I, maybe this is minutia, but the reality is John said, look, if you're not born of God, you can't call yourself a believer. And the only way to become a born-again believer is by receiving and placing faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. John put it like this in, in John, his gospel, chapter 1. He said, yet to all who received him, to them who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. There it is again. That's it. All who received him and believed in his name We've been given the right to become children of God because we believe in him. Again, wrong on Jesus, wrong on salvation, wrong. The third thing he brings out is our conduct. Ooh, this is our conduct, our behavior. That's a better way of saying it, our behavior. How many of you know we should behave differently? I, I know we live in a world today that, that, that there really isn't much of a difference between someone who professes to be born again and someone who has no affiliation with Christ whatsoever, but they ought to be. They ought to be. You know, there should, again, it's not that we walk six feet above everybody else and, and put on this holier-than-thou uh, uh, attitude. That, that's not it at all. I, in fact, I question people who walk around in a spiritual arrogance. And one of my pet peeves, I'd rather even not talk to you if, you, if that's the way you are. I just, it just, it just but, but the reality is there ought to be a difference. And it ought to be a difference that's so stark that starkness would be illustrated as the same as between light and darkness. Right? With light and darkness, there is no problem differentiating between the two. So, so our conduct, see, beliefs lead to birth, which manifests itself in how we conduct ourselves. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 3, the Bible talks about producing fruit in keeping with repentance. 
Keep, uh, keeping in, uh, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, there's going to be an outward reflection of that inward change that salvation has brought. You know, there was a song, I'm not sure what group used to sing it, but they asked the question, what about the change? What about the difference? You see, if there's no noticeable difference between who I was before uh, I acknowledged Christ. Now, and I'm, not, I'm not, certainly not dismissing the fact that there are people today that come to Christ who, who have major issues from their fleshly life that sometimes takes a season for the Holy Spirit to get in there and work it out. That, that I'm, not, I'm certainly not diminishing that aspect of it whatsoever because you know what? Most every one of us came with skeletons, attitudes, behaviors, things that were unbecoming of a Christian or a Christ follower. But the, the process is I submit to the Spirit who works in me to reflect the sun. And, and, it, and it is a process. But what I'm talking about, there ought to be a difference. You know, you, you, you heard, you've heard me tell this story uh, years ago. I, when I, the first time I preached in my grandfather's church, as a, you know, most, again, most people, it's, uh, my wife always got an earful every time we'd go back to Mobile. Because I, I had some very questionable things that, you know, as a teenager, when I rebelled against the faith and uh, again, particularly when I left home, ran away, uh, you know, I got out in the world and I started doing a lot of things that I was just not raised to do. And I just totally abandoned the faith and just got mixed up in some really, really stupid stuff. I did a lot of dumb things. And the first Sunday I preached, uh, at my grandfather's church, the old, it's, it's gone now, but it was Batesfield Assembly of God in Mobile. Uh, they put on their little marquee sign that Reverend Mike Mizell would be preaching and, and I've shared this with you before, but after I preached, I, there was a young man standing in the back waiting on me. When I walked by, he said, he grabbed my hand. He said, good word. He said, are you, are you Mike Mizell? And I said, yes. He said, no, no, are you the Mike Mizell? And I didn't like the emphasis on the because it, Started getting me. It started me thinking. Okay, what did I do to you? <laughs> you know, did, you know. I, so, I, so I really did. I started thinking, and and I said, "Well, what do you mean by the Mike Mizell?" And he said, "Well, did you go to Baker High School?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Did you graduate in 1984?" And I said, "Yes." He said, ah, "I thought so." I'm getting really a little more nervous <laughs> standing there. He's like, he's, I thought so. And I said, "Well, I, I said, how would you know me?" He said, well, I, I don't really know you. He said, but you were in my brother's class. And my brother used to tell me all the things that you would do. And he said, when I saw that sign that had Mike Mizell, he said, I, I just had to come and see if it was the same Mike Mizell that I heard so much about. And, and of course, I kind of had that sheepish little, well, yeah, you know, yeah, it was. And, and then it hit me. I said, no. I said, he's not, I'm not the same. I said, that Mike Mizell's gone. I said, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a different person. And I, I wasn't trying to wax super spiritual. I just, it was a, that was the first time in my life that I realized that I'm a new man. That Christ has made me a new person. And my, my, my actions and my behavior had to reflect that. And that's a challenge, is it not? Especially today, in today's world. Man, there are people, you know, the Bible says lay, don't lay hands suddenly on people. There are a lot of people I want to lay hands suddenly on them and forcefully. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, there are a lot of knotheads in our world that I want to just have a come-to-Jesus meeting with. <laughs> you understand? I'm just being real with you. But here, that's the point. There ought to be a 
an outward, there ought to be a reflection outward of what God has done on the inside. And again, this is nothing new for John to say because behavior and conduct have been a common theme <laughs> woven through this little letter. I mean, some of the evidence of being born again in John's letter is this. One of the evidences will we will love other believers. I had to do that again. We have to love everybody. We have to love one another, particularly among the household of faith. If I said, even Jesus said, look, if you, if you have an issue with your brother and you come down to the altar and you make a, to make a sacrifice or make a gift and there you remember, remember what he said, do? Stop right there in your tracks and go and make things right and then come back. Because he said, if you keep going, I got my fingers in my ear and I'm going, la, 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 don't hear you. One of the evidence, evid- and, and, and it's, a, it's a grace thing because God gives us grace to love people that are unlovable. God gives us grace to love people that grate on our nerves. And I need all the grace I can get. Right? How many would say that? Yes. I mean, we laugh. It, it is comical, but, but that's the truth. That's what he said. Look at verse 1 again and part of verse 2. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is, John, John spells it out pretty, pretty simple. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God. In other words, I'm going to love others because I love God. Remember early on, John said, how can we say that we love God and we hate our brothers? Remember? How can we say that we love God if we have an issue with somebody else? He said, if you hate your brother, you're a liar. I, I didn't say that. That's what he said. Again, loving our brothers and sisters is an evidence of what God's done on the inside. Because you know what? It is very, it, it, I think it's almost humanly impossible. I think it is humanly impossible to love certain people. And yet there is no qualifier when it comes to loving others in his name. It stands to reason that if we claim to love the Father, we should love his children as well. Again, um, this love that I'm talking about, we, we dealt with it a couple weeks ago, is more than, it's, 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 love, it's more about an action than an emotion. Love's not just something I say, it's something I do. You know, if your husband or your wife or uh, your kids came in and they told you how much they love you, but they never really showed, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, they never really showed that, they just kind of uttered some words. After a while, you begin to question that. See, love is not just something I do, it's it, or, excuse me, it's not just an emotion that I feel, it's an action that I take. So John is so, and again, this is, this is pretty natural for John. He is so locked in. He's known as the disciple of what? Of love. He's known as the disciple of love. So John is so locked into love because, again, he was an eyewitness to what G, his, Jesus, his ministry, Jesus spoke about it all the time. And not only did he speak about it, he demonstrated it. And so John said, hey, one of the evidences, see, there's external and internal evidences of being born again. The external is we're going to be different. We're going to behave different. Our conduct's going to be different. Listen, we'll never reach perfection. That's not what I'm talking about because Lord knows we, he's still working on me. But we strive to be better. See, I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. I'm just trying to be better than who I was yesterday. And then when I wake up in the morning, I strive to be better than the man I am today. That, that's my only competition. And so that's the external. People ought to be able to say, you know what, there's something different about you. 
but there's an internal that brings a, a supernatural peace. Another thing that would be an evidence of, of, of the salvation experience, uh, and again, I think these are non-negotiable signs. Love our brothers. Number two, live out what the Bible says. Again, uh, we, we will love like he loves, and we will live as he lives by doing what he says. Notice verse 2 and 3. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his command, I love this, and his commands are not burdensome. I like that word. He uses commands three times right here. Again, John's not saying anything different than what he did in the Gospels. In John 14, 15, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. So, so again, John's very familiar with all this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. So, so let's not say that we love God unless we're serious about doing what God said we, we should do, right? Again, it's, it, I, I think it's noteworthy to, or worth noting to see that John refers to God's commands as not burdensome. Now, now what does that mean? Well, the word means heavy or restrictive or cruel, or oppressive would be a good word. He said that God's commands are not oppressive. Now, that's interesting in this culture today because there are people that flat out refuse to even consider becoming a Christian because their objection is, well, if I become a believer, then I have to, what, what is the negative? I have to stop doing this. I can't go here. I can't do this, 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 and this. It's all the negative. John says, wait a minute. The commands of the Lord are not burdensome they're not oppressive I mean listen most of us here probably would say you know there are some times in our Christian journey that we have felt God's commands to be somewhat constrictive maybe but when you understand they're given out of the context of love they really are for our benefit it would be like a parent saying to a child not to touch a hot iron it's not that you're trying to restrict that child from exploring things it's because if that iron is hot it's for their benefit if they touch a hot iron I mean it's going to burn them and perhaps even scar them so so that's where we as believers have to get to the point where we trust that God number one has our best interest at heart so if he gives a command it's 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 not burdensome it's not oppressive it's for our benefit Listen, I promise you, anything you think you've missed out in this life, when you get over there on the other side, he'll more than make up for it. I promise you. you won't, it won't even be a blip in your memory, the things that you've missed out here when you get on the other side. You see, the, the contrast here, I mean, you think about what, what John is talking about, the oppressiveness of, the, of God's commands as being burdensome. You juxtapose that with the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees like? Well, they were all about man-made rules and regulations. What was it, 713 or something like that? Oppressive rules that they, that they had. Matthew described it like this. I love, I love his description in Matthew 23, 4. He said they tie up, listen to how he described the oppressiveness of man-made rules. They tie up heavy loads, put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. <laughs> In other words, they keep making rules and sound like the government. No, I didn't. I said that. 
they, they keep making more religious rules and regulations, and they're piling them on the shoulders of men, but they're not doing anything to alleviate the burden. John said, that's not, God's commands are not like that. They're not oppressive in that nature. The third thing he talks about is we leave the bad behind. We leave the bad. John 4, uh, excuse me, in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, notice what he said. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The word overcome is used twice and in the present tense. John said in his gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have what? Trouble, tribulation, hard times. But be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome. I've overcome. Same concept, same idea. Overcome in the Greek is from the Greek word Nike. Okay? Nike. And what that means is victory or conquest or uh, prevail, to prevail. So, so we are overcome, uh, overcomers through Christ. Again, none of this is in, in and of ourselves. But through Christ, that's what Paul said to the Philippians. I can do what? All things. Again, the word overcome carries the idea that there will be a struggle. So how many know there will be a struggle to live righteously in an unrighteous world? There will be a struggle. There will be, be voices vying for your affection, your time, your energies, your resources. Always. It will be a struggle. If you decide to sell out to Jesus, there will be people that will question your motives there will be people that will question your faith. They will look at you and say, well, you, you, you just Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. You think you can do it. And they will sit on the sidelines and they will root for your failure. Am I speaking the truth? That's exactly. So he says, overcome. We are overcomers. That means there will be a struggle, but don't give up in the struggle. I like one pastor put it like this. I saw this quote and I thought it was pretty good. He said, we should come to church with the smell of battle on us. <laughs> I like that. I don't know where you buy it, you know, what store carries that fragrance, but we ought, to come to, we ought to come to church with the smell of battle. We've been in the trenches. We've been fighting. To grow in faith, there's always going to be a fight involved. We're in an unseen battle. Amen? We're in an unseen battle all the time. Everywhere we go and whatever we're doing, there's an unseen battle that's taking place. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's, we, we wrestle, but not against flesh and blood. It manifests oftentimes in that fleshly realm. But look past that. That, that tirade that somebody launches at you, look past that, that physical response. And notice there's a spiritual thing going on. See, because sometimes the spirit in us upsets the devil in somebody else. And there's conflict that ensues. There, there, there's something more going on. See, the Christian life is not easy. And I think where we are, in our, and, and I'm going to be preaching something similar, not to this message, but talking about, you know, we, we live in a world today where many believers are intimidated. They walk in fear. They walk in intimidation. Too many people, too many believers today are settling for surviving when God's called us to thrive because we're overcomers. See, the answer is not to try harder. I mean, the only way that you and I can overcome in this life 
is to trust in the victory that Jesus has already. Everybody say already. Already won. Means he doesn't have to do anything. It's already been won. Again, this is essentially what John wrote in Revelation 12, 11. It says, they overcame him by what? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They overcame. Again, understand your identity as a child of God and then exercise that faith to overcome. Greater is he. It doesn't mean that you're going to be exempt. We, we don't have a card that we have in our wallet that says, you know, get out of jail free card like a Monopoly game. Get out of hardship card. Lord knows I would have played that. <laughs> How many would have played that many, many times? We don't, we don't have one of those cards. This is real stuff. We hurt. We have accidents. We're betrayed. Maligned. It, 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 that's just where we are. It's real. But exercise the faith that we are, because we believe in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. He's in us. You're an overcomer. What was that song back in the 80s? Hit me with your best shot. <laughs> I know I'm not pointer. Well, I don't even know who sang it. You know what? Sometimes just sing that. Come on, devil. Hit me with your best shot. Greater is he who's in me than he that is in this world. Exercise the faith. Overcome. When that temptation to, to fall into that habitual you know, that habit that you've been stuck in for the last 20 years, exercise some faith. Use what he's given us. Listen, instead of always being overwhelmed, God wants us to be overcomers. We're overcomers not because of anything we've done. We're overcomers because what Jesus has already done. It's not some future thing. It's what he's already, what he's already done. Uh, done. We, we don't work for victory. We have the victory. That's important. We don't work for victory. We, are, we have the victory. Faith is not the means to the goal of victory. Faith is the victory because our faith is centered in Jesus, who is the victor. John now, and i got to hurry up. I had a lot of info tonight. John, John shifts a little bit now in, in verse 6, and, and now he gives some things to evidence, basically presents evidence to validate that Jesus as our Savior. He validates Jesus as our Savior. Notice verse 6 and 7, 6 and 7 and 8. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, I know that it may sound a little bit confusing, but basically what he's saying is now in Jew Jewish culture, a testimony was only accepted if two or three witnesses could agree to the facts. Okay, so, so that's, again, that's kind of the context of what he's saying, that, that in their culture, a witness would only be validated if it can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. In fact, Deuteronomy 19.15 says, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So it was kind of important in that culture to have, have a well-established fact. And so John is calling on these three witnesses. He calls on the water, the blood, and the spirit. 
Now, some people, I read some commentaries, some have understood the water and the blood to refer to uh, John 19, 34, where it reads, instead, one of the soldiers pierced. So remember when Jesus was crucified, and there at the end they pierced him? Here's what the Bible says. Pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So there was some commentaries that said that was the event that they were pointing to. And, and then there were some others that I read that said uh, they, saw, they see allusions to the Old Testament concept of purification by water and pardon by blood. So, so in the Old Testament, remember when I did the teaching on the tabernacle, you know, once you get past the gate and you go into the, to the outer court there, there were two things that you would encounter. Remember what they were? You had the altar and you had the brazen labor. One was for sacrifice, pardon, and the other one was for cleansing or purification by water. So, so others kind of see that as, as, as what's going on. And that, that may be possible. I think, again, remember John is writing to combat the, the heresy of the Gnostics who were basically teaching that Jesus wasn't divine, that, that he wasn't the son of God, uh, and, and, and that he, again, they were questioning that. So John writes this, the point is John calls the witness of the water at baptism and the blood as proof of his death on the cross. So that, that's where the witness. John was baptized. Remember what happened when he was baptized? The voice of the Father. You know, John's pointing back to this is the witness. The Father said this. And then pointing to the cross where the blood was shed. I, um, I came across the Believer's Bible commentary, and here's what it said. It seems that the human heart is perpetually trying to rid itself of the doctrine of atonement. Men would like, to have the Lord Je- would like to have Jesus as a perfect man, the ideal example, who has given us a marvelous code of morals. But John here insists that Jesus is not only a perfect man, but perfect God also. Men say to Christ, come down from the cross and we will believe in you. If they can just eliminate the cross from their thinking, they will be happy. But John says, no, you can't, have the, you can't have Jesus Christ apart from his perfect, redemptive work of Calvary. Isn't that good? So let me kind of bring this in. Let's talk about those elements real quick. The, the water, again, the baptism, at Jesus' baptism, the Bible says when he came up out of the water, and you can find that in Luke chapter 3, the voice from heaven came. You had the, the, the dove ascend, descended. The voice from heaven came, said, you are my son whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus was God's son before his baptism. Right? He was God's son before the baptism. And he, you know, and, and became God in human flesh. And when he was, he was God before then. He was from the foundation of the world. Jesus just didn't become the son of God at his baptism, but through his baptism it was revealed who he was. So that's the witness. Again, that was the launching of his public ministry, and it was witnessing. There's one. It was witnessing that he was the Son of God. Number two, the blood. Uh, John 19.30 says, uh, you know, when Jesus said it is finished, right? John hammered it home in 1 verse 7 says, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Uh, and again, I go back to the Old Testament and the Levitical system. In Le- Leviticus 14, it, we find the requirements for cleansing of a leper. As part of the healing, 
Here's what a leper would do. If you go back to Leviticus 14, you can read it, but here's what a leper would do. The leper had to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. And then another part of the ritual involved applying blood to the lobe of his right ear, to the thumb of the right hand, and to the big toe of the right foot. And, and then there was another element, oil. All of these were the ritualistic elements needed in cleansing a leper. The water was allowed, uh, the water allowed him to walk among the people, the blood allowed him to stand before God, and the oil represented the power of the Holy Spirit to change him. That's the three witnesses. And that's the third thing is the Holy Spirit. The water, the blood, certainly are external and historical witnesses, but the Holy Spirit is that internal thing. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, says it's the Spirit himself that testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's powerful. Because you know what? There are always going to be voices out there questioning your motive, questioning your loyalty, questioning your faith. But the Bible says it is the Spirit himself that testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Anybody ever doubt before? Struggle with your faith? He said, look, the spirit inside of you will bear witness with you. That's powerful. John 9 and 10, I got to close. He said, we accept, and I like this because now, now look at how he's framing this. He said, we accept man's testimony, okay? But he said, but God's, God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony. You know, it's like, duh, it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. What did, what's the testimony God gave about his Son? This is my Son. See what he's doing there? I mean, we accept the testimony of, man, of, of men all the time, right? You know, whether it's a doctor giving us a diagnosis or a mechanic telling us what's wrong with, the, what's wrong with our car. We trust a pharmacist to to read a script from a doctor that we, you know, again, that we barely know. We give him a piece of paper with something we can't read. He puts some things in a bottle and says, now go take this. <laughs> we take the testimony of men all the time. And John says, now wait a minute. If you believe the testimony of men, what about the testimony of God? Who has testified, this is my son. See, as I close, salvation is simple because Jesus did all the work. And maybe that's where the struggle is sometimes and we lose confidence because we think there has to be more to it because most of us, I think, in this generation are still taught that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But the reality is salvation is a very simple thing because Jesus has already done all the hard work. It's free because he paid the price. It's a gift. And all we have to do is receive it. But... When we receive it, then things change. You know, Jesus was called the stone which the real builders rejected. And that stone was either a, a, a firm foundation or it was a stumbling block or a rock of crushing. And the choice is up, it's really up to us. You know, I can approach Jesus and build my life upon that firm foundation, or I can continue to reject the witness of the Spirit and the water, uh, you know, the, the, the body, the, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. I can continue to reject that and be crushed by that rock that was meant to be my firm foundation. 
So again, I can have confidence tonight that if I place my faith in Jesus, it's enough to save me from who I was. It's enough to work on me to make me who he wants me to be. And until that, and it will never be completed until he takes me on into glory and I'm glorified. That's enough. I can have confidence. There's a lot of things today. I want you to stand with me as we close. There, there's a lot of things today I don't, that, that we don't have confidence in. A lot of things that cause us to doubt and to struggle. But there's one thing that you and I as a believer should never, ever, ever do. If Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, there's enough in you to overcome the world. That's the best. As they used to say, that's a fact, Jack. There's enough, enough faith. If you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have enough faith to overcome anything that this world throws against you. Won't you bow with me tonight as we close in prayer? And I'm just going to ask it this way. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor? I really, I really needed this because I'm struggling. You know, I have those voices that, that, that tell me I'm no good and that I'll never amount to anything and that, my, that this phase that I'm going through right now, this religious phase is, 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 is never going to last. I'm never going to be a better person. I, I, I want you to hear me. That, that, that's a lie from the pit of hell itself. Listen to the witness of the Spirit on the inside. You are a child of the King. If you've confessed Christ as Lord and you're living in that covenant relationship with Him, the devil, and I'll talk about this on Sunday, the devil is an accuser and he makes accusations all the time. Be free from that. Be free from that. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior and the Son of God, that in you, overcomes the world. I want you, with nobody looking around, if you're here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm really struggling with that. I want to walk that life of faith. I want to, I want to grow in my faith. I want, to, I want to be that overcomer, but I do struggle. Just pray for me. If that's you, just slip you in right, right back down. Amen. If you're online tonight, if you'll, if you'll comment, we want to pray for you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you that we can stand here in confidence tonight. Lord, knowing that when we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus, that from that point on, no weapon formed against us can prosper. Lord John even asked the question, who can separate us from the love of God? And then he goes through a list of things and says, no way, there's no way. Who brings charges against us? Who accuses us? Lord, thank you that tonight we can stand confidence that having our faith in the solid rock of the, the cornerstone that we can build our lives on a firm foundation. And, Lord, I pray for those that are just being pummeled with the, with, the, with the fiery darts of the wicked one tonight. Father, I pray that that shield of faith would be utilized tonight. Lord, we have it within us. May we exercise that faith and raise up that shield of faith to quench all the flaming darts from the wicked one. Lord, when he tells us that we know we're no good, Lord, may we stand on the promises of God. Lord, may we overcome by the word of our testimony in the blood of the lamb lord may we recite to him we have placed our faith in the finished work of jesus and we are we're born of above god i thank you for that lord may we walk in that victory lord those that might be struggling lord maybe there's some here tonight that were very close to throwing the towel in lord i pray that tonight lord you speak lord into their spirit lord that that the holy spirit within them bear witness that they are, belong to you and there's no devil in hell powerful enough to take them out 
And Father, go with us tonight. Give us a great restful night. Should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday. I ask you to bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. And even now, ordain what you're going to do. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.